All right, everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. Really excited that you're here. I'm excited to be here. Uh, man, I got to be honest with you. I love this topic. And so this topic, I was just like, it's like, oh, man, I was, I, when I was thinking of my lesson, I was thinking about what I was going to write, think what we were going to do. I was just, I was, everything just like, like, I was looking at it, I was like, man, I, I, God has prepared me for this topic in so many ways, and I didn't even realize it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone through anything, and you're like, like God was like preparing you for something, you didn't know what you were going to head to on the other end? You know, and it's like you're just sitting here and, you, and, and sometimes and those of you are shaking your head, just stick around. God will tend to do that. All right. You know, you'll be go walking along in this journey and you're going to be like, I have patience and I didn't know I had patience for, you know. And so and the reason why God prepared me is because I have done battle with a vine. But first, we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk about it. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for everything you've given us. And God, I pray with every ounce of my heart, Father God. That, God, you come into here, Father, and that, you, that you, uh, you shine. But, God, more than that, Father, God, you teach. Because, God, this topic is extremely important. Learning about being in the world but not of the world, Father, God, is one of the most important things we can do, Father. But, God, the how to do that is very, ah, it's up in the air. So, God, I just ask you to speak through a knucklehead today, Father, God. And that, God, more importantly, that you open our hearts and our eyes and our mind and our souls. And, God, we show that these are your words and your truths. That if we follow them, God, we will be blessed. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So a couple of houses uh, back. All right, I've moved a lot in my life. I've moved a lot. Uh, we added it up uh, last year. Uh, in my entire life, I have moved 20 times. And so lots, lots of times, Yeah. And so we just were, you know, we're vagabonds. That's what we did, you know. And so uh, I was in a house uh, about two houses or three houses ago. Um, I was in a house, and I remember we, we bought the house. And you ever, like, bought something, but when you were looking at it, when you were buying it, you were kind of like, you had those eyes where you didn't see that was anything that was wrong. Have you ever had that, right? You know, like, you know, I, I, you know, I did that with a, t with a car one time. I, I got a car. And my dad was like, the stereo doesn't work, but it's a car, you know? And it like, turns out the AC, heater, defrost, belts, spark plugs, all things didn't work, but it was a car, you know? And that was this, that's how I felt about this house. I was like, it's a house. I'm so excited about a house. And, uh, you know, there, it, was, it was like, it wasn't an open floor plan, so my wife didn't like that very much, but it was a house, and we liked it. And I'll never forget the backyard. The backyard, which was, uh, it was a pretty good-sized backyard. It was about as big as this room. Uh, about half of it was covered in vines. But you know what I said? I was like, ha-ha, that's not a problem at all. I, I love this house because it's my house, and I'm going to own this house. And I had like this old, old, anybody ever had like an old person moment where you're like getting up and it's early and you got your coffee and you look in your backyard and you're like, yeah, this is my house. <laughs> I had that moment and I looked in the back and I was like, yeah, this is my house and that's my vine and you're going down today. So I went to the Home Depot because that's what you do when you own a house. It's like, turns out you make multiple trips to Home Depot for the same thing because no one knows what they're doing and I don't know what I'm doing. So therefore, you just walk up and you buy it and you take it back. This didn't work. I got to try again, you know? And so, 
so I did that with a vine, okay, a vine killer, all right? And I'll never forget, it was a Roundup vine killer. I just said, I don't want the generic stuff. I want the good stuff, the name brand, because I'm going to kill this vine that's in my house. And the person said, I don't know why you're saying it like that. But anyway, we're gonna, she gave me this stuff, and I got it, and I got this like little, little spray bottle, all right? I got this little spray bottle that you put in, you wrap it up, and then you spray it on this, this weed killer, and it's supposed to kill it. And I said, yes, 24 hours, the vine will be gone. And I went out there, and I sprayed. It was hilarious. My wife laughed at me so hard, because I'd walk up with this little spray bottle, like, dead, dead, so arrogant about this vine about to leave. Well, 24 hours came and gone, used the whole bottle. The vine seemed like to get greener. And more than that, it grew a foot. And I had to make sure I didn't feed it miracle Grow by mistake, because I would have done that too, all right? And I was like, man, this, is, uh, this vine means little business. You know what? I can put, too can play at this game. So I called my uncle, who's a farmer, who has industrial strength, vine and weed killer. Farm strength, farm tough. I grew up on a farm. Those are tough guys, all right? And their weed killer has to be pretty tough as well. It said, dead in 16 hours. I was like, yeah, I can do that. It said, don't you, you have to use gloves when you handle it. It's like, this is the kind of stuff I want. Yeah, I'm going to take care of the vine. And I was like, yeah. And so I took, I got all this stuff, and I'll never forget, it was the most satisfying. I, I moved up from one of those spray bottles to one of those pump action ones, you know, that you hold up. I was like, I'm getting serious, Vine, all right? You're about to get to my next, you know? And I was all in it, you know? I was excited. I'll never forget, it was the most satisfying poison thing ever because when I put this farm strength, whatever it was, concoction in the water, it fizzed and it turned blue, and I was like, this is what I'm talking about. The Vine's going down, all right? So I, ra- I put it all up, 16 hours, don't touch, no problem. I went out there, and I went out there with that little spray thing. I sprayed the whole Vine, my uncle said about this, this vine killer that one drop would kill the whole plant. So I was like, so I figured using the recommended amount, which was a tablespoon, and he gave me like this giant jar, mason jar full of it, and I used a tablespoon of it. I thought that'd be enough. I waited the recommended 16 hours, and it was not enough. <laughs> In fact, it didn't budge. In fact, the, the vine started really to make me mad because the vine then got into the, it started getting into the foundations of my house. And I was like, oh, vine, you have now. And I was, I was no longer a sane person, guys. This vine in me, in my new house that I just bought that I had these rosy colored eyes, I was like, I moved from coffee to like espresso, like, let's do this vine, you know, and I put it in. I'll never forget, I, I graduated from the little spray pack all right, I graduated to like the thing you put on your back, you know, it was like, let's do this wine, vine. And I didn't put the recommended table amount. You know what I did? I poured the whole thing in there laughing maniacally. I didn't even use gloves. I was like, yes, we're doing this fine. We're going to town. And I put it in and it made, I could actually hear when the water in the poison mix was like, this is a mistake. You know, I heard that. <laughs> I heard it come out like that. And I was like, yeah. So I put it all in there, and I put it on. I put the jetpack, and I was like, say hello to my little friend, and I just sprayed like crazy all over this vine. And it didn't die. I know. I was sitting there like, all right, I'm going to have to like, pay the vine rent or something. I don't know. It's one. I called my uncle. 
And I was like, what do I do? And he said, sometimes, sometimes you just get a very persistent vine. And I was like, that doesn't help. What do I do? <laughs> and he said, you're going to have to wait. We have to wait. We had to wait three weeks for the poison to dry up. Because if I would have put it, would have burned my hands and the people that were going to help me, hands and everything. I was a madman. I was like, we're good the three weeks. Doing it now. No. So we waited the three weeks, and we had to get the vine up. Now, the thing about the vine that when you, you, when you go it up, it was like shag 70s carpet. All right? So we like we would pick up like like maybe like maybe half a yard, all right? We'd pick up and we'd take shovels and we'd shovel underneath it and get underneath it and we'd keep doing that and we'd roll it and we'd roll it and roll it. We filled up four uh, dumpsters full of this vine. Got it all out of our yard. It was huge. And then I looked over at my neighbor's yard and I realized I wasn't dealing with the vine. I was dealing with with the branches of the vine. I wasn't dealing with the vine itself. I was dealing, the vine actually originated three houses down. Yeah. I never, ever heard this verse again the same. Where Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. I remember looking that in awe. Vines, when they're connected from the source, are extremely fruitful, guys. They are fruitful and they get everywhere. And that's what our lives, that's what Jesus equates our lives to. When you're connected to him, what it looks like. You get into places that make the world mad, all right? The vine grows to the point where it can't be ignored, and the world looks at it and says, we have to destroy that. We have to destroy that. This is why what makes Jesus so important in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in John 15, 19, it says this. It says, the world would love you if you belong to it, but you don't belong to it. For I chose you out of the world, so the world hates you. You know, vines, they get into places. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. Vines crush foundations. Vines do things that make the world in their inconvenience of the world, so the world tries to weed it out. And they're pretty successful at times. But let me tell you, connected to the vine, Jesus was not, Jesus knew exactly what he was saying when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He was telling us, you're going to go to places you never thought. You're going to be fruitful, more fruitful than you ever could imagine. And you're going to destroy foundations. That's why the world's going to hate you. That's why the world's going to hate you. So how do you be in this world? How do you be in this world and still stand? There are a couple of problems, though. First problem is this, the world hates Jesus. That's a problem. But why does the world hate Jesus? One, Jesus exposes the real problem. The real problem is sin. You know, it's funny to me. Nowadays, you know, it seems like everybody's got a remedy to how to make you feel better. You know, uh, you know a couple years ago, it was like, you know, change the, the signs on the bathroom, that'll make you feel better. You know, okay, 
whatever, uh, you know, uh, or you know, now it's like, uh, if, I just, uh, if I just change my gender, or I change my personality, or I change my sex, or I change who I love, or I change with this, or I change that, whatever I change, if I just keep changing it, then I will feel accepted and I will love. And Jesus looks at all of that and he says, you can try all of that, but the problem is, isn't your, your sex or your gender or, or, or anything like that, your character flaws, your problem is, is you have sin in your life, you need to root it out. That's the problem. And the world looks at it and goes, nah. Very, very, I know, very articulate argument from the world. <laughs> but that's what we do. Jesus is going, I'm here to help you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to want you. And you're like, I, I, I don't want to hear any of that. Because think about it. When I was an unbeliever, that's exactly what I said to Jesus and his church. I don't need you. But I know the problem. I don't care. I'd rather live with the problem. It was sad. You know, the world has opinion when you want to change who sits on the throne. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 5, 7 this. He said, for I know that nothing good does not dwell in me for in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. We always, I mean, I used to overlook this a lot. And I, I, maybe you overlooked it too. But do you know how many books Paul wrote in the New Testament? At least... Two-thirds. Some think more. And he, the guy who wrote the New Testament, the dude is like the most articulate speaker ever. The guy who was saying a sermon, someone fell asleep, falls out of the chair, died. He rose, from, he rose from the dead, and then he finished a sermon, which must have been a great sermon, says, I know nothing good lives in me. I know it. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. And the world looks at that and says, I hate that about you guys. I hate it. The second thing is this. I don't hate you, buddy. I love you. Don't, don't cry. All right? <laughs> it's like, He's the big man said he hated me. All right, uh, you know. <laughs> the, uh, another reason why the world hates Jesus is this. The world hates Jesus because he exposes what really needs to change. You know, when I was a... When I was a brand new believer, uh, what kind of a new believer? I was, I was kind of, you remember that time when you started going to church, you just started courting church? You remember that when you started doing that? You're like, you, you weren't really like a believer, you're kind of one foot in the world, one foot out of the world, you know? I was, I was like that for many years where I would just kind of toy with church. It's okay, Jack. It's okay, buddy. You're absolutely fine. And so, <laughs> it's, I love little kids. I think, honestly, this is besides the point, guys. Remember this. And you're, you're college students, and I'm going to tell you this. You know what Jesus loves more than anything? Children playing in a church. He loves it. It's a good sign. So I love that sound. It's not annoying to me at all. So second point is this. People who are listening are going to be, what is he talking about? All right, anyway. But, you know, I think you kind of got to be here to get that one, you know. So next year, come to family vacation. All right, so. So Jesus exposes what really needs to change. Um, oh, yeah, what I was talking to you guys, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I started uh, hanging out with some people from the church. It was new for me. It was new for me to hang out with people from the church or try to benefit my life in any which way, shape, or form. This was a new thing, all right? So I remember hanging out with them, and I'll never forget, because I came from a world where you drank and you drugged and all this world, and I was hanging out with them, and uh, I, I decided I didn't want to drink anymore. 
But I had, I had drank with these people before, and I had partied with them before, but they were all my church friends. And I was like, you know, I, I, want, I don't want to go. You see, I party with people on Saturday night, and then they do the exact same thing I did, and then they would go to church on Sunday morning, and I was like, well, what's the difference? I just won't go to church, you know? I mean, I'm hungover anyway. I don't want to sit there while someone talks to me, okay? I don't want to act like I'm not hungover, all right? And so I was like, you know, maybe I need to change that. Maybe I need to go to church and not party on Saturday night. And the crowd that I went with said this. Um, they, they came up to me, which I thought was really interesting. They came up to me and they said, hey, um, we, uh, we've been talking. We know that you want to change your life. And I was like, yeah, I do. I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want to do that. And like, well, yeah, we know you want to change your life, but... Uh, so we decided to make it less uncomfortable for you. Maybe you shouldn't come around anymore. And I was like, but, but you're my friends. What, what do you mean not come around anymore? Like, oh, well, we just don't want to make it uncomfortable for you. And I remember, like, more uncomfortable than this conversation. <laughs> you see, my friends liked what I had to offer, but they didn't really like me. And Jesus exposed that about them to me. And I hated Jesus for it. I got mad at him. It's like, you took away my friends. He was like, they were never your friends. They were never your friends. What Jesus says in Matthew 21, verse 42, he says, have you ever read the scriptures? We're going to read 42, 44, and 46. Those are, we're going to skip the odd ones because why not? So, um, 42, Jesus says, have you ever read in the scriptures a stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? From this the Lord, and it's marveled in our eyes. Verse 44, the one who falls on the stone will be broken into pieces. We'll just stop there. You see, the cornerstone of Jesus, when you come into it, it breaks you. And God exposes how you need to be put back together. And you see, the world hates him for that. I know that because I hated Jesus for it. And when Jesus shows us what needs to change, sadly, we've made better friends with our bad decisions than we've made with God. And God's going, I know what needs to change, though. But you see, God doesn't, doesn't, God doesn't like our bad decisions because he's at war with them. He's at war with them because they want to sit on your life and they want you to call them God. And God's the only one who's God. That's why he exposes it. That's why it's exposed. So the last thing that world, why the world hates Jesus is Jesus exposes our need for help. You know, Matthew 6.24 is a really interesting parable. It's, it's one of my favorite parables of Matthew, where Jesus is talking about building houses on the sand and building houses on, on, the, on the rock, all right? And so what he talks about is he says, if you build your house on the sand, the storms of life will come, and when the storms of life come, the rains will come and it will wash around, around the foundation. It'll wash out the foundation completely. And so, and when it's washed out the foundation, and since it's built on sand, the house is going to wash out too. Maybe y'all have never seen houses built on sand. I have. I used to live in Corpus Christi, Texas, all right? And let me tell you something about Corpus Christi, Texas. You'd be in some houses that were built on sand, and you'd be standing like this. And it'd be going, it's level. I'll never forget, I was in a house one time, they're like, let me make some eggs. <laughs> you had to walk up. You had to walk up to the stove like, like you were like a thigh master workout. It was on like level five, you know? And walk up. 
It was that, it was that bad. I'm serious. I saw the look. It was that bad. I am an exaggerator ghost. So you had to go to level 10 on the thigh master, you know? And, <laughs> sorry. But you'd go up there, and I've seen those kind of houses, and those houses are washed out within five to 10 years, usually. It's really, really bad. It's really not a good thing. Jesus is coming in and saying, hey, look, I know you like to build sand castles, but they make terrible houses. All right? Why don't you build your house on a rock? Why? Because the same rains are going to come in your life. And if those same rains come in your life, you're going to be able to stand, and they're going to be able to stand, withstand the rains of life's storms. You see, Jesus comes in and says, why don't you build your house on a rock instead of sand? And the world goes, I think I know better Do you? Yes. And you build your house, and the house stumbles and decays and destroys, and then we get mad at Jesus because the house got destroyed. We go, look, the rains came, and God's going, I told you rains would come. I told you. We get mad because Jesus exposes our need for help, and we hate to admit that we need help. It says uh, in John 16, 33, Jesus says, take heart because Jesus overcame the world. You see, when the world hates you, it's because you're connected to the vine. Because the vine is the foundation crusher, the idol crusher, Jesus destroys world's truths about money and about sex and about gender and about sexuality. He destroys all of those things. And he says, I'm going to build a better kingdom. And he puts them back together. And the world looks at that vine and goes, we've got to destroy that before it destroys us. That's the reason why they hate us. Now, what's our answer to the world's hate? What do we do? It says in John 15, 8, all right? It says in John 15, 8, we're going to look at three ways, uh, uh, three ways that, we can, that we can show the world love. First one. First one is this. I said that, and then I scrolled too down too much. Hold up. The first one is in John 15, 8. It says this. This too is to my Father's glory. Circle Father's glory in your Bible. Highlight Father's glory in your Bible. That you bear much fruit. Whose glory is it that we bear the fruit? It's God's glory that we bear the fruit. Whose glory is it that we built the house on the rock? God's glory that we, that we built the house on the rock. And when it withstands life's life, life's uh, rains and life's storms, the world looks at it and goes, how's that house standing? Some will hate it, but some will go, how's that standing? And we get to go, God's glory. I think for often, so many times, churches and everything go, because I built my house on a rock. And we forget that it wasn't our idea. It was his. It was his. We got to give God the glory. When we bear fruit and our church grows, God is the one who gets the glory. All right. Uh, if you want to live in this world and be a part of it, you must bear fruit. In bearing fruit, you're showing yourself to be the disciple. So how do we bear fruit? We stay connected to the vine. That's how we do that. All right. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. All right. It says, do not conform. All right. Verse 2, do not conform. Look at that. Highlight it. Circle it. Write it down. Remember this. That the uh, the that world that that word that word does not mean tolerate, it does not mean overlook, and it does not mean participate in one's in the what the world's doing. It means you don't sway in what the world's doing. You do not conform. By not conforming, we're showing the world that there's a different way. 
I think for often to us, and I think if you're, I know because when you're in a, in a college atmosphere, you're in a college class or anything, you do things where you have one foot in this world and you have one foot in this world, and you say, I'm on this world because I want to get the A. I know it because I did it. I wouldn't truly stand up for what I believed in because standing up for what I believed in would mean it cost me something. But remember, it cost Jesus something as well. All right? It cost Jesus something. Thank God our hardships is getting a B. His was figuring out how to beat death. So do not conform to the world. When you're conforming to the world, the world is looking at it. And when you're not conforming to the world, the world's looking at you and going, how are you doing that? And that's how you stand in the world without being a part of it. Do not conform. Let's go on a little bit later. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This isn't a transformation just once. This is a transformation every day. I'm a Greek guy. I like Greek. All right, I, I'm, a, I'm a nerd when it comes to Greek. Uh, I remember being a brand new believer. I remember uh, talking to the guy who discipled me, and that guy, uh, <laughs> that guy said, uh, I remember like, I was like a three-day, or about a, a two-week-old believer when I went up to him and I said this. I was like, you know, I believe the Bible is doctored in English. And he went, oh, it is? I said, yeah, I think it is. And he said, why don't you learn Greek? And I'm so stubborn, I went, all right. All right? So I majored in Greek. Uh, ended up getting to te- uh, translate the whole New Testament in Greek. Uh, that was like, I got to do a lot of really cool stuff with Greek and Greek awards and all that. I really like Greek. Uh, Greek helped change my life. By the way, long story short on that story, Bible's not doctored. All right? It says pretty much what it says. Okay? But one word that it said that was really interesting right here is the transformed word. The transformed transformed word is the word metamorphophu. All right? Sounds fun to say, right? But doesn't it sound a little bit familiar? Metamorphosis. And then you got another word for transformation. It's actually where we get the word from the Greek. So, so Paul's saying a metamorphosis. What is a metamorphosis? It's the process where a caterpillar transforms into a chrysalis and then into a butterfly. It doesn't happen over, overnight. Now, I, I, y'all didn't grow up in the 80s. I did, all right? I'm that old, all right? I remember growing up in the 80s, and I remember, you, sometimes you got these magazines that came in. I remember getting a magazine, like you got like Tiger Beat, you know? We don't have those anymore. Y'all, y'all were kind of robbed of that joy, you know? Of like getting in and getting like, ooh, it's my highlights magazine. You look through it, you know? I remember like I, like, I got for a Christmas gift one time, the one that I found, uh, what I'm about to tell you the story in, I got a uh, Sports Illustrated for Kids. Oh, the, and I got this life-size poster of Charles Barkley. I was the man, okay? But in this... In this uh, Sports Illustrated for Kids, there was a little, like, they had these little rip-outs in there, you know? And it was like, so you could buy things. You could send money in or send a check in, and they would buy it. Now, I never forget, for $9.99, I could have my very own butterfly farm. And I was like, oh, what? What does that mean? And I was like, I just pictured me, like, me in a hat, I don't know why, with, like, this net out in the middle of like the woods going, it's my butterfly farm. Look at the kingdom I have made, you know? I was so excited about it, all right? 
But I'll never forget when we got it in, it came in a box. And it was a little box. It wasn't like this giant box. It was this little tiny box. And I was like, this is a small kingdom, you know? And like, <laughs> okay. So I opened up the box, and it was a box that, you know, you put these two fat little caterpillars in. And you put a leaf in there from the outside. didn't even come with a leaf, you know. You had to put your own leaf in there for them to eat. And then you tr- watch them transform into a butterfly. And I remember sitting in there like this. I was a little kid. I was like, so, so when, when's it happen? And my mom was like, when does what happen? When, when do I get my butterfly kingdom? And she's like, your butterfly kingdom? And I was like, yeah. So when, when does this thing turn into a butterfly? She's like, well, first it's got to turn into, go into a cocoon. I was like, oh, cool, cool. So, so when, when does that happen? When does the cocoon thing happen with the caterpillar thing to the butterfly? And my mom was like, it'll take weeks for it to do that. Do, do, they, do they do anything else? <laughs> True story. True story. It's a long process for a caterpillar to become a chrysalis, to become a butterfly. True story. It doesn't happen overnight. But here's the thing. If you've ever seen a, a chrysalis, know that when the chrysalis did form, the cocoon did form, it was not a pretty thing. It was this disgusting, hard, snot-looking thing hanging off this twig, all right? And I remember sitting there going, ugh, that is gross, you know? It was, it was nasty how it worked out. And I remember sitting there going, oh, that is, I mean, that is, and I kind of wanted, for some strange reason, because I was, I was a weird kid, I was like, I kind of want to open it to see what's in it. And my mom was like, don't do that. You waste, like, weeks of wanting to see them become a butterfly, you know, and I was like, oh, but I want to do that. I want to, you know, but I didn't, I didn't. But it's a disgusting thing. And then the caterpillar breaks out of the cocoon, and here's the thing that I didn't understand. And I didn't know how it would affect me until now. Well, until then. I saw it come out of the cocoon, and I saw it beautiful. And then my mom explained something to me. She said, see, that caterpillar had to change. And I was like, how could something that ugly be turned into something so beautiful? I don't get it. And at first time, it gave me hope. I realized this later on in child, because uh, uh, later on when, from when I was a child, I remember it now. I remember looking back, because I had a childhood where I was abused as a kid, mental institutions, hard, hard times, drug use at a very young age. I looked at all that, And I was a caterpillar. And God turned me into something I didn't know I could be. How many caterpillars are out there, you think? How many caterpillars are out there that thinking they're looking at a butterfly flying like, there's no way I could ever do that. There's no way I could ever do that. So they stick with their caterpillar life, eating their caterpillar food, doing their caterpillar things because they don't even know of a world that if they're transformed, what it could be. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. What a great example of what our life looks like in Christ. I want you to be transformed. 
from a lowly caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly this weekend. It's not going to take just this weekend. It's not going to be three days and it happens. This transformation process is really hard. You have to have, you have to, one, let the scriptures edge out. These scriptures hollow, hollow you, break you, put you back together, confess, move forward, move on, and then do things you never thought you could do. With Jesus behind you going away going, I knew you could do it. You could do it. I want so badly for that transformation for you. And the world hates it, but the world wants so badly of that transformation for you. Some of you have consistently, some of us have consistently chosen to be caterpillars and going, I'm not moving. And I don't know what that is in our life. Maybe you're saying, I won't forgive that person. Maybe you're going, I don't think I could ever teach a class. I talked to a guy this past week in our small group. He's like, I didn't think I could ever leave a cell. And I was like, well, buckle up, buddy. Because God, for some strange reason, does. God, for some strange reason, does. I remember um, when I was younger, I was 18 years old. Someone just said, describe what hell is for you. Some of you have heard this, so humor me. Uh, describe hell for you. And I remember going, married, children, Christian. That's hell for me. 20 years later, I have all those things. Not only am I a Christian, I'm a teacher. That wasn't even on my radar. I honestly think 18-year-old me and 38-year-old me would get in a fist fight. I'd like to tell you I'd be holy like Jesus. I don't think I would. The boy needed something beat into him. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. I'm just saying. <laughs> I needed it. I needed it. Because I didn't think transformation could happen. I've done, I did things that I thought, God doesn't work with people like me. I actually remember... Uh, saying that to the guy who was about to baptize me. I was like, I'm excited to see what God can do with something, someone like me. And that was the first time I ever said it. I was 24 years old. I was sitting there going, I'm excited. For the first time, I'm excited about the future. For the first time, I can see past 30, I'm not dead. For the first time. And I have a wife. And I have kids. And I'm... Flying like a butterfly is so beautiful. Don't settle for being a caterpillar. Don't settle. Be transformed. Because when you're transformed, the world looks at it, and the world with their caterpillar things are looking at it and going, how do I fly? How do I do that? So it does, uh, Romans 12.1 says this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. All right, so what does it mean to offer up? There's two things. First thing, when I offer up means I get fed up with my sin, all right? I get fed up with my sin. It's no longer I who live for myself. The vine's transformation has truly transformed me. Um. It's no longer I who live for myself. Um, Getting fed up is this. Getting fed up is not a physical thing. 
Getting fed up with your sin isn't a physical thing, guys. It took me a while to realize this, and after I realized it, it became a lot easier. Getting fed up means it's a mental thing. The battle's in your head, all right? There's a battle in my mind. I'll prove it to you real quick. Go to uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 21. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. Says this. So, I find this a law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law working in me, waging war against the law of my mind. So the battle is in our mind to offer up. It's in our mind. There is no transformation until we offer up ourselves. So what do we offer up? We offer our sins. We offer up who we are. We offer our hopes. We offer our dreams. We offer everything that we have to imagine. We say, God, I give this to you, and you're going to make it something better than imagine. There's a guy in our ministry right now, and he came up to me, and he said something that I was just like, wow. Uh, His whole life, he'd been wanting to get married. His whole life, he was looking for a lady to get married to. And then we were talking and everything, and he said something that just shocked me and gave me so much hope for the future of our church. He said, I no longer want to get married. I just want Christ. It's like, what if if that means you never get married? And he said, I'm okay with it. I mean, I'm not okay with it, but I'm okay with it. How good is it that our God works like that? I'm okay with it. I mean, I'm not okay with it, but I'm okay with it. And he said it with tears in his eyes because he was offering up. That doesn't mean, guys, he's going to get a marriage. What that means is he's going to have a relationship with Jesus, which is so much better. So much better. Quit acting like these little caterpillar little leaves are better than flying. They're not. They're not. So we offer up. Uh, John 15, 7 says this, If you remain in me and in my words, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. All right? So, if we, if we ask God for it, I think the problem with a lot of churches today is they don't ask. We don't ask. We don't ask to be changed. Or we do it like this. God, you're going to change me. What needs to change, Clint? Oh, you know, everything. What's everything, Clint? Um, the, the pride thing. The pride thing needs to change. What part of the pride thing? And we have to get specific. Okay, God, okay. I hate it to look foolish in front of people. There, I said it. I hate looking like an idiot. Why? Because I felt like an idiot my whole life. Trying to go through life and realizing I can't get out of it and I can't get over it. And then I got something in my life right in front of me that's always, I'm I'm living life through a rear, rear view mirror, Father. And I feel like stupid because I can't look through the windshield in front of me. All I can see is the path that I have behind me. And God's like, now we're getting somewhere. You gotta get fed up and be specific what you get fed up on, all right? The second thing you gotta do is offer. Uh, Offer up means I give up myself. There is no transformation until you offer up. Offer up and give up the sins in your life and the sacrifices, all right? Um, God does some pretty amazing things if you let it. Uh, You know know what a big fear of mine is this? I think one of the biggest fears of my life is getting to heaven and God looking and showing me everything in my life I could have done 
if I just had enough faith. That's one of my biggest fears. But offer up. And when you offer up, you give up. So how does God respond to us offering up and getting fed up with our spin? How does he, how does he respond? I'm glad you asked that. I know you didn't. I asked the question for you. But, you know, I, I glad, I'm glad we're going to look at that. Uh, there's a story. It's, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And um, I, I say that a lot. Uh, which all the Bible is my favorite because the book changed my life. But this story right here, I really connected one. Uh, this story is about a guy named the prodigal son, all right? No name, just what he did. So when he was the prodigal son, it's found in Luke 15. I'm just going to paraphrase the whole thing. The son did the worst thing to his dad, who was a very wealthy landowner. He owned all of this, all of these livestock, all this land. He was a really, really cool guy. He owned all the stuff. And the son said something to the dad that I think is the worst thing you can say to a father Ever, he says, I wish you were dead, dad, so I could spend all your money. And you're like, dang. And the dad did something that was shocking to me in the story. He gave up the kid his inheritance and he said, son, live it up. And the son went out and he he blew up. He lived that life that he always wanted. He lived that worldly life. He got that life of money and girls, and he gave everything that the world had to offer, and it left him broken and hungry, looking at a dumpster of people, other people's scraps and going, man, that looks good. A lot of y'all don't work with pigs. I used to work with pigs, all right? Uh, the slop that they eat, I have never in my life said that looks good, all right? You know what the slop is? You know what that consists of? The slop is this, uh, whatever you eat in your house, all right, you don't throw it away in a trash can. What you do is you put it in another bin and you let that food sit in there and it get, it lets it, you wait till it gets mushy because the, it's rotten, all right? You let it get mushy with all the disease, all the nastiness in there. That's what you wait for. It's called slop, all right? So all the oatmeal in there, all the food you want in there, broken eggshells in there, whatever you want, dead, dead, dead goldfish in there, everything you want you put in there. All right? And then you go out to pigs where they live and you just throw it out and put some oats on it. It's called slop. That's what they eat. All right? Pretty nasty. I get it. All right? The prodigal son looked at that and was so hungry and he saw all that and he was like, that looks pretty good. I'm so hungry. That looks good. And he realized it was a wake up call for him. And so what he did was he decided, you know what, I'm going to go home because my servants don't even live this way. Dad's servants. Maybe he'll just hire me back. You want to know how God responds to getting an offer up and fed out? We're about to find out. God says, or God, when he saw the son walking home from afar away, ran out ran out and hugged him. He didn't wait for the son to come completely home. He ran out. And the moment we say, God, I'm fed up. I offer up what I have in my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, God. God will meet you where you are, but he won't leave you where you are. God doesn't forget you. No matter what you've done in your life, God will not forget you, all right? The father says, bring some good clothes for my son. Bring out my signet ring, all right? Y'all don't know what a signet ring is. It's kind of beyond us. A signet ring is this. If I was going to buy, like, okay, and back in those days, I would buy like 15 donkeys, you know? 
If I was going to buy 15 donkeys, I wouldn't carry money on me because I, I would get robbed. What I would do was I would say, put it on the ring. That's my signet ring. It was like a credit card, all right? And I was like, you put it on that. That's the authority that I'm buying all these donkeys. When I was writing a letter, I would seal it with the signet ring. That's, who I'm, that's the authority that I'm writing, or that's, that's why I have it. I'm, the signet ring was like a credit card, all right? And so, so really what the father's saying right here is that bring out the credit card. No, not the one with the spending limit on it. I want you to give him the black credit card, no spending on it. He can spend whatever he wants because he's back. Why would God do something like this? Here's the reason why. God doesn't hold a grudge. God doesn't hold a grudge for you, all right? Then the father says something that really speaks to my heart. He says, bring out that fattened calf. We're about to have a barbecue. We're going to have ribs. We're going to have brisket. We're going to have everything. Bring that thing out. We are going to eat good tonight. Why? Because God celebrates transformation. Here's the thing, guys. You were not made to live a mediocre life. You were made to live the best life imaginable. But some of us are so fixed on this caterpillar leaf we're eating on. We're so fixed on it that we can't see, can't see the transformation he can do with us. If you only knew how good my God is. If you only knew the kind of person I was to the kind of person he made me. And he's not even done. I don't even know what the future holds. And it's exciting. I imagine Paul said that looking out in the crowd going, man, I don't know where I'm going to be next week. And it's the best life I could ever imagine. Best life. God celebrates transformation. So remember, God doesn't forget you. God doesn't hold a grudge. God celebrates it, and he made to live you life and life to the fullest, like John 10.10 says. Life even better than you could imagine. There are people in your lives right now, guys. There's people there who are stuck with their caterpillar car and their caterpillar cash and their caterpillar clothes, worshiping their caterpillar gods. And when they see transformation, they look up and they go, why is that guy flying? He was just like us. What happened to him? That's when we get to tell him, I built my house on a rock. He changed me. You get to share with them the good news that being connected to the vine has done for you. All right? How this vine transformed you. Do not hide anything from your past. There's nothing in your past you should be ashamed of. What Jesus has brought you out is celebrated, never, ever to be ashamed about, all right? Very important for that. Because the world will look at that, and when you say that part of your story, they don't understand it. But when they get it, they get it. See, I work, um, I wasn't going to share this, but I really felt led to with the team, so I feel led to do this with you guys, too. I work at a job where I go speak about abuse to schools. That's what I do for a living. I go to, I go to schools, and I talk about, I'm not in like detail or anything, but I talk about my childhood sexual abuse, and I talk about my drug addiction and how being, I'm being sober and all of these things and how what God has done uh, in me. And this kid came up to me last week, and he said something to me that kind of took me back. He said, my mom says people like you shouldn't teach children. And I was like, oh. He said, yeah, with your past and what happened to you, you shouldn't teach children is what she says. It was one of those moments you had a choice. I'm about to either hit a child or... <laughs> You know, it's funny, I joke about that. That never popped in my head. Because before I could, 
before I could even process what was said, because what actually was said is, was a very big wound. It wounded me very deeply. Because I love kids. I just want them to know there's a better way, because no one was there to tell me there's a better way, which is why I got into what I got, which I actually why I really like that job. Before I could eloquently say it, I said, well, I guess Jesus does things with people you didn't think you could expect, huh? And he looked at me, like, you said Jesus in school. And I was like... Yeah, you brought it up, though. <laughs> it was one of those instinctual things. I didn't have time to eloquently say it. I wish I could be like, Jesus has given me power to do it. I didn't say any of that. I was like, Jesus does good things. That's all I could come up with. <laughs> I hope, I don't know what will happen to that kid. I hope he tells his mom that. I don't know. All I know is I'm going to fly. That's all I know. My question is, is, do you care that God can transform you and that you can fly and do things you never imagined? Are you satisfied with eating a leaf like a caterpillar? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I bet we didn't think we were going to get a biology lesson today, Father. But God, you give amazing gifts. And God, if we want to be in the world and out of the, in the world and stand up in the world, and, but not conform to the world, Father God, we got to let the world see. We got to let the world see how good you are, Father. Jesus, you can do things we can't even imagine. So God, do things we can't even imagine. Let us not say no. Father God, let us have the faith to follow you through valleys, through heights, through everything, through back home. I pray that you give us the courage to speak to the people that we need. You give us the courage to talk to professors, neighbors, students, anyone, and say, this is how you can fly. God, in your holy name I pray. Amen.